Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am not alongside uh, Chris Legg in person. He is actually out at a camp out, um, enjoying the outdoors. Uh, I would say, would you call this morning brisk where you are, Chris? Brisk is fair. Brisk uh-huh. is fair. It rained all day yesterday, and it's um, it's in the forties this morning. So, yeah, man, brisk. And but the sun has come up, which we didn't think was going to happen, and that's going to be awesome. Oh, well, well, Chris is out there camping, but he is willing uh, to call in and have a conversation with me. Um, and today's one I, I'm really excited about. Not that I'm not excited about other ones, but because it it tends to be a hot button topic for people. Um, the the concept of pastors uh, falling um, or failing yeah. in their roles as pastors and kind of having moral failure and so we I would love to hear uh, the thoughts because you you brought this up of kind of why we see this trend and then uh, along with our you know with with our themes wh- what can or how can this I guess not not how but what can we do that will allow us to uh, not let this be an issue to that causes us to deconstruct our faith. Yeah, this is an intriguing conversation. Um, and I, I'm sure, I mean, I, obviously, I actually don't know that I know anyone personally who has completely deconstructed their faith or completely walked away. Oh, from like, faith. like walking away from it completely. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Because of, because of a falling pastor, although I'm sure, but I'm just saying, I'm sure that happens. Uh-huh. Um, I am sure there are plenty of people and, uh, and listening to the, for example, the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, it sounded like there were several people under those settings that had fully deconstructed um, their faith after um, the fall of the lead pastor. So, um, so I would say it's, I'm sure it happens for re- like co- completely happens for people. However, um, I have known of several situations where um, people's faith has been challenged and really shaken because of the fall of a pastor. Um, my own my own wife, her student minister, um, fell morally um, not long after she left student ministry, being a student, and it really shook her. And then years later, um, a, uh, a gentleman who did he actually performed. He was one of the two men who performed our wedding. Uh, Ginger Mind's wedding, he fell. It turned out he had been having an affair the whole time he was doing all of that. And and that also shook uh, that shook us. <laughs> but in the end, it's kind of what we talked about on the podcast several times that what, I, what I've ended up doing is deconstructing my faith in humans, mm-hmm. um, not deconstructing my faith in God. And I don't, I don't know if being a therapist helps me delineate that, that I know all humans are messed up and, and have issues and all that kind of stuff. And so just because someone's a pastor or lead pastor or seminary professor or youth minister, that doesn't somehow mean they don't have issues, addictions, problems, stuff like that. But um, it's been intriguing to see. And it feels like it does feel like in the last few years, and I don't know if it's a, a true trend as in that it's getting worse or if it's just better publicized. 
um, like if it's more in the open, when these lead pastors fall or, and, and they seem to fall for kind of two main ways in my experience is, one is that they're jerks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're narcissistic control freaks. And, and that eventually comes out as they've burned the bridges with all their staff, with their leadership, with their elders, with their congregation, with whatever. And, and eventually it's just too much and people can't take it. And this whole church system sometimes is built on their personality. Um, and, and then eventually that same driven, controlling, um, demanding, hard-driving personality is also within, not that's what grows the church in the short run, but that's also what kills the church in the long run. Um, and we've seen that. And I, I think the root of that is that, you know, all of us have <laughs> some narcissism and certainly anybody who's willing to you know, step up in, a, in front of a whole group of people, hundreds of people or even thousands of people and tell them, you know, this is what we think God is saying, or this is what I think God is saying. I mean, that's, that's, there's some, at, at minimum, some pretty high confidence there, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, and so, at worst, they kind of begin to buy their own press and to believe what people say about them, and they begin to think it's about them and, and about their success, and it becomes their church. We talked about uh, the staff years ago went to a conference and the, the lead pastor at the church that was hosting the conference got up and kind of introduced every single talk. He spent like 10 or 15 minutes introducing every single talk, not just the speaker, but every single talk. And, and, and as if he wanted to make sure that everyone knew the real story about this, you know, about what was being talked about before whoever the guy they had hired or girl they'd hired to come in and talk. And we were all like, this kind of feels icky. Like this is awfully a lot about him. Mm. And then in his talk, he referenced, you know, the big, beautiful building that we were all in. And at some point told the story of, you know, meeting with the architect. And the architect says, um, the architect says something about, well, you know, I'm building this big church. And this pastor said, no, no, you're, you're just, you're designing a building. I build the church. And there, there was a whole room full of pastors. And there's this awkward, like, I don't know, 10 second break. And I think that's how long it took him to realize what he had said. It, there was an awkward silence for about 10 seconds or so. And then that, that pastor says, I mean, I mean, of course, uh, Christ builds the church. Not, not, I don't mean me build. I mean, Christ huh. builds the church. Interesting. Um, but we all kind of made eye contact. At least the group who was there with me and eye contact were kind of like, I'm not confident that the first one isn't what he meant. Huh. Um, and I think, I think that type of hard driving um, kind of can be self-absorbed, but, you know, high control type of person, people like being led like that in the short term. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it's exciting. And you get to feel like you're a part of some grand movement that's going to, and this guy's going to change the world. And, and he's does everything. And, and, you know, everything he says is new and brilliant. And, and the people get caught up in that and they forget that he is, he's, he's just a, a mouthpiece. I mean, he's just, in fact, uh, I will tell you the, the four, I have four religious symbols mm-hmm. uh, in my, well, right now they're in your office, actually, um, mm-hmm. that are probably in the room somewhere where you are, that are my reminders of what my roles are as a pastor. And mm-hmm. so there's a blade, mm-hmm. which references 
you know, the power of God's word to be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And then there is a flame, or in that case, a, a, an oil lamp. And that's referencing the prophecy about Jesus that a bruised reed he would not break and the smoldering wick he would not snuff out. And that may be surprising. People might think, oh, I assume it's going to be something about being the light of the world or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously that's part of our role as well. Mm-hmm. But as a as a lead pastor, it's it's the, let, let God's word be the blade um, that does that type of work. Let it be the scalpel. And, um, and then... I want to follow my rabbi in being so gentle that even a, a reed that is bruised is handled so gently it won't break and this wick that is smoldering will not be snuffed out. And that's, I think that fits well with this whole podcast is yeah, that is somebody deconstructing their faith. I mean, they're like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, especially those who have experienced church hurt, mm-hmm. um, hurt in the, in the name of Jesus through the church or whatever. And, um, and so that's that's a reminder to me. And then there's a cup, which is about um, uh, you know the kind of the ordinances and responsibilities of the job as a pastor. Um, and then there is a donkey, and uh, the donkey is there to remind me that my job is to transport Jesus to the people. It's not about me, mm-hmm. and it it comes from uh, the account in the Bible where. Uh, where Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem and people are, you know, throwing down their coats and or cloaks and, and waving palm leaves and, and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I heard a preacher many years ago, I don't remember who, but many years ago reference, you've got to imagine there were times that that donkey was thinking, man, these people really like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's important to remember yeah, the, the donkey was not what people were waving their arms about. That's uh-huh. not who was important in that scene. Mm-hmm. And so so anytime I'm tempted to think, you know, as much as, and I appreciate people when they pay compliments or when they say kind things or when they offer encouragement, all that's mm-hmm. fine and great and everyone needs that and everybody appreciates that. But even the reminder when someone says, you know, and I don't try to be the kind of weirdly false humility mm-hmm. where I don't say thank you and try to, you know, Oh, you know, it's not about me. Um, but because I think God does use me, and that's really cool that God uses me. But God also used a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. That doesn't right. You know, the, the honor does the honor and glory doesn't go to the donkey. Right. And um the donkey did his job. Good job, donkey. Well done. <laughs> and <laughs> that'll do uh, that'll donkey. do donkey. <laughs> <laughs> um oh, so well, so in and I, I love those, um, those symbols and that they have meaning and that that's kind of where your heart is kind of pressing in a little bit when you, you know, I know you talk a lot, um, in your sermons, uh, to your congregation about, um, and, and even on the podcast about, uh, not having, um, our faith be in humanity I know, right. and, or the whole concept of, have you met you? You know right. that you know your own shortcomings, you know your own, um, you know, your own spots where you fall or have struggles, but how do you take this, take extra steps to ensure that you're not getting big headed or... Uh, yeah. or fall. And I guess the other thing you were probably going to say is, you know, cause you had mentioned the kind of the narcissistic 
prideful bent. The other side, yeah. I'm sure, is um, sexual immorality. But and I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on a pedestal, but I know that you were even talking this past Sunday about you know getting to know people and being shepherded by people who are genuinely humble. Um, right. Can you talk a little bit about specifically in that first vein? about yeah. the prideful part, what are, what are things that you see or people that you have seen in leadership who are like, okay, these are some good practices to make sure that I'm remembering my actual place. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I did reference uh, being discipled in the area of humility um, in the last Sunday service. And, and it's, I just got a comment. Like there are plenty of pastors who, who talk like this or say things like this, or even uh -huh. say it from the pulpit at one point in their ministry. Uh -huh. And then later in their ministry, they kind of evolve or in my mind devolve uh -huh. into their success. They begin to see their success as being about that. And so one, I try to be very aware and prayerful of that, but two, uh, and, and, and so one of the things I do is surround myself with people who, who will argue with me and say no to me and, and, uh, and push back. And, and I try to, uh, make sure that those people have a voice uh -huh. um, and that they can have that voice and they can say those things, especially if it's at a personal level, if I hurt their feelings or if I, you know, walked on them in some way or if uh -huh. I, whatever, that they can, they can talk to me about that and be open with me about that. And um, I try to make that uh, always good. And, and there's enough of them that if they kind of got together and came to me and said, uh -huh. Hey, we feel like you've stopped doing this. You've stopped listening. You stopped whatever. Um, hopefully they could, get my attention. Um, and also being trying to be very open to that with my own family, with my uh -huh. wife and my kids, that they can speak uh, openly into uh -huh. you know, what they see in me, what they're experiencing in me. Um, but being discipled in humility really was that in my twenties, I had already been put in my late twenties, early thirties, I'd already been put in a position of high authority in the ministry. And, and I realized, I mean, I was very prideful. Uh -huh. And and I had known that about myself as a teenager and as a young man. I think that's pretty common among young men. Um, but but realize what I realized suddenly was, oh shoot! All of a sudden, my decisions matter. My uh -huh. opinions matter. Like yeah. before, I could be prideful and no one cared. It was just you know, Chris, whatever. But now, all of a sudden, I realized I literally am am filled with the chief sin, the first sin always listed when God lists the sins that God hates. Uh -huh. Pride is always at the top. And and here I am. And I had friends in my life who would tell me, and they would say it kindly, gently. They'd say <laughs> things like, you know, sometimes you come across as arrogant. Um, or, you know, sometimes it seems like you're prideful. And what I realized was, that's probably because I'm arrogant. Uh, that's probably <laughs> right, the reason right. I come across as arrogant. Probably because probably, That's probably a good guess. Is because I'm arrogant and maybe I don't believe I am, but that would just be self-deception, could easily be self-deception. So I, I searched out a man who was humble and asked him to mentor and disciple me and we would discuss things and I would just see where my mindset and his diverged and then try to learn from him, okay, prayerfully, how do you respond to these things? How do you respond to criticism uh -huh. in uh, I still have a hard time being responded when somebody blindsides me. Like that's what seems to trip my ego up the most is when I get blindsided by something. Uh -huh. And so I have to be very aware of that. Like when I, when I'm blindsided, I have to try to stop and like, okay, let's pause here for a second and, and 
you know, get my heart rate back to normal and the surprise feelings behind my eyes go away. And yeah. Um, so there's that, but that's, so those are, those are a couple, making sure it's available, seeking out discipleship in those key areas. And so I spent 10 years being discipled on a very, very regular basis weekly for a lot of that um, okay. by a man who's a very humble man, a humble leader and, and trying to learn to do things the way he would do them. And mm-hmm. he was trying to do them the way Christ would do them. And so that combination was really, I think, very healthy and timely for me. Yeah. Um, and was that, was that, was that I, early on in your, in your, in your ministry or was that like, as far as like being a lead pastor? Oh, it was long before I was a lead pastor. Okay. Okay. Um, it was, it was in my thirties and I didn't become a lead pastor until my mid forties. Okay. Um, and that probably helps too, that I was in my forties before I became a, a lead pastor. So it's yeah. not, uh, you know, I didn't have that. The, the arrogance that is so commonly associated with youth, it does, it's not universally associated. Certainly there are plenty of wise and humble young men. Um, I just wasn't one of them. Um, and, and it's interesting because being a little arrogant, being pushy, being demanding, being all those things is also can be very inspiring and it does create followers. Right. Um, there are right. people who want to be led by someone who's strong and, who demands a lot from them and who calls for a lot and a lot of those good things. And they don't have to be connected to pride. They just often are. Yeah. And, and you have to make sure you've got people around you who can call you out. Um, yeah. And who model that themselves and then can call you out in it too. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank, thanks for taking um, so that's, time that's to kind of comment of that. on that. Okay. So then, so you said a lot of times it's one of two things. So you kind of hit on the first yep. one. What's the second one? So the second one is is typically a moral failing, and though it used to be more common, periodically you'd hear about you know a pastor I don't know skimming money from the church or something. Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of that in a long time. Yeah, the other one you hear about is sexual sin. Is that is that there's a a, a, a dominance a guy gets into a situation like this and either his arrogance or whatever lends him to justify his own sin, um, or to, to to justify it, to hide it, to do whatever. Like recently, the there was an international ministry that after the leader of the ministry died, it turned out he had. Oh, hold on, hold on a second. You'd you kind of you said after he died, and then it kind of like started getting. Okay, okay. I'm okay. kind of pacing, so I may be wandering into. Um, All right. So, anyway, after uh, after this the leader of this ministry died, it came out that he had been really abusive and u- abusing his power and authority um, with women probably all over the world. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until after he was dead that the ministry did a, um, you know, did some serious work to uncover uh, kind of the depths of it. And it, it was, it's pretty, pretty horrific. Yeah. I knew a lot of people who were involved in those ministries and really, I mean, it was a big ministry, a lot of people involved in that. And, and really wanting to be a part of it. And then to have that leader fall in uh-huh. such a, I don't know, obvious way, gross way. Um, but he had used his spiritual leadership as a tool. Like he had told women, like, this is what God wants. Uh, God put you in my life. In one case, he apparently cited the passage about David having a young woman in his bed when he was an old man um, to keep him warm. And, and he, which, which is, Almost certainly just about keeping him warm, but uh, though some people think that's a euphemism, 
Huh. I don't. Um, I think it's literally to keep him warm. But but the uh, uh, but in this case, he was using that and saying, "Well, now as me as an old man, God has given me you to keep my bed warm." Um, and, and they were engaging sexually, and it just it was just horrible. Huh. Um, and so I think, but whether it's that or just as we've seen recently with some who they just have an inappropriate relationship, like they're, they're texting sexually and romantically with somebody. And in today's world, um, pornography, it, it's one of the things that can transition into very easily because of our cell phones and stuff like that is our smartphones is, is that they, it transitions over from, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, pictures of somebody who I find attractive and they're engaged or dressed inappropriately or whatever to, now I'm having literal interactions with uh -huh. real life people in my life in a way that it's like I'm using them for interactive pornography. Yeah. And it's, it's really demeaning and unhealthy. Um, but I, but I understand that. I mean, I have my addictions too. my addictions. I have a, an old fashioned early onset addiction to pornography, seeing pornography when I was really, really young. And so I have accountability in my life and, and restrictions and passwords and, that I don't know and apps that get deleted and, and that kind of stuff in my own life as I try to keep the sin out of the camp um, in my own life. And I, I think it's just easy for a lot of these men, especially if you combine any of that narcissistic tendency to say, because I'm so important, I should be allowed a few, you know, indulgences or something. And uh, I think, I think that's a big one. And it, it can be just as simple as inappropriate relationships. Um, pastors, uh, Sean, uh, no, Shannon Etheridge wrote a book, Every Woman's Battle, years ago. And in it, she starts the book saying something like, I'm paraphrasing here, but something like, I was having affairs with five men, but none of them knew it. And she unpacked this idea that she had created of, that a lot of times when people have affairs, it's, it's in their mind that they're saying, I wish my husband was more like blank. And yeah. I wish my wife was more like blank. And they begin to fantasize, create a fantasy husband or wife for themselves. And that's what she had done. She had created a fantasy husband for herself out of several different key men in her life. And of course, one of them was her pastor. Mm -hmm. And you've got to think that's common, that that a woman who's unhappy in her marriage, who's not being spiritually led well or whatever, is sitting in the audience. And man, I mean, I'm at my best when I'm up on stage. You know, uh -huh. I, I don't, you don't get to see me irritated or tired or sick mm. or short tempered or, or you can just, or, you know, just dissatisfied or distracted, mm. which is yeah. my worst. And so you don't see any of that. So it'd be easy to go, Oh, you know, I, you know, being married to him would mm -hmm. be great. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, probably being married to that guy would be great if right. he existed. Um, I mean, that's why I try to be the real me on stage and try not to hide that stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I'm going to come in a minute to what I think is one of the biggest ones. But, uh, but there's only, but there's only I'm so much and I talk about these things. Right. And I, well, I just think that, you know, there's an, there's an aspect of being, you know, an insp inspirational, charismatic teacher that is really great. And that that the Lord really does utilize, you know, and I think that's where it's like, okay, well, not, not that you're being fake, but it's like, you're using the gifts that the Lord has given you. It's only right. to me a testament of man, our hearts are 
just so untrustworthy that we even, you know, we take these good things that God has given us and think God, God is using to even equip us um, and twist them. You know, I'm just yes. thinking from that, from that angle, you can probably see it from a lot of different, a lot of different angles, but anyway, yes. I, I cut you off. That's, that's exactly right. No, no, not at all. That's, that's a great, that's a great point. And that is, yeah, it's, that's the thing is it's a good thing that God has given us. And then our temptation is to make it about us mm-hmm. versus about him. And that's true for, again, that's, that sounds so churchy, like, Oh, everybody says that. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I say it because it's true, no matter what our talents and gifts are, whether it's, you know, um, it's something, something more simple, something more uh, common, something more uh, hidden, something more public, something more dramatic, like whatever it is, if it's, if, if your abilities are if you're incredibly gifted at, at music or incredibly gifted at, at technology, like none of those, those are all still about him. Right. For the Christian, our identity is still in him. It doesn't, it's not just the preacher who has this problem. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but preachers get to fall in really dynamic ways. Right. Uh, and as part of it, every, you know, a lot of Christians fall in their faith at different times. But when, when big lead pastors, especially big tens of thousands of mega church member pastors do it, well, it makes news. I mean, that's a good yeah. splash. Um, and so, so just, just being able to say, how do I, what are the boundaries I put in my life? I mean, we look at a guy like Billy Graham, who, man, I think, I think if there was scandal, it would have come out by now because um, everybody wanted there to be a scandal about him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. And I think it's because he was humble enough and he drew healthy boundaries in his life around his marriage and his family. And um, I mean, there were stories about, you know, he had to send people into hotel rooms ahead of him because people would find out where he was going to be and they would station a photographer and a naked woman in the room and try to catch him in a photo. And I don't know if any of that's true, if that's just legend, but I remember reading, you know, hearing about that kind of stuff and thinking, man, that's how hard people wanted this guy to fall. And he didn't. And so to, to examine his life and try to figure out, okay, how did he, I mean, he was at the level of power and authority and influence in the world that people were probably trying to get him to fall left and right to use, to abuse his influence, Mm -hmm. to abuse his power. And, it doesn't seem like he did, which is, you know, that is a miracle, not right. because of Billy Graham, because he's human. Right, exactly. Um, that any human would manage to take, have that type of success, attention, and notoriety and not fall. I respect, mm-hmm. I respect any president or governor or, or, or leader who doesn't fall because uh-huh. I know they have the opportunity to. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a big deal. And we don't, of course, we don't hear about the thousands of pastors who faithfully pastor their whole lives uh-huh. and and never stumble in any you know career ending or ministry ending way yeah um, though they stumble everyone does right uh, but, but, it, but it's it not like yeah way. to where it's like they completely lose their witness um yeah and so uh, another thing that i've heard you say chris is um, when you're talking about kind of younger gen the the younger generation when they because they've seen a lot of pastors fall when they see a young leader, they, they tend to think, oh, well, he just hasn't fallen yet. Mm-hmm. Does, how, how does that yeah. kind of play into, because I'm, I'm sure there are people um, who are of that demographic who are listening or will listen and kind of have that mindset when it comes to um, leaders. And, and, yeah. and I don't know if it's cynicism. I don't know if it's just like, well, I've been hurt before or what. Uh-huh. But how 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 do you see that playing into this context in this conversation? Well, and 
And keep in mind now with the rates of divorce where they are, they've already seen the key stability in their life. They've already seen that in. Oh, right, right, right. And so why would anything else be more stable than my parents' marriage? And so since my parents' marriage isn't stable, why would I think anything else is going to ever be stable? So when you start there, I mean, you're kind of starting at a huge deficit. Yeah. And then, and then to move forward from there, um, you know, having a, a youth minister fall or a pastor fall, or, or you see it on the media when some, you know, big name televangelist turns out to be a total hypocrite or a con artist. And right. Like those things kind of add together and it becomes very easy, especially when you've been abused. I mean, flat out abused in the name of Christ by a pastor or a minister and, and you've been sexually abused or physically abused or something like that. Like, uh -huh. yeah, I mean, how do you come back from that? How do you trust that? And the answer is it's going to be super hard at the emotional level. But but the truth is, you know, like there was a Wayne Watson song 25 years ago that wasn't very famous, but that I like called That's Not Jesus. Uh -huh. Um, and it was one example after another like that. And then he would say, but that's not Jesus. He doesn't carry on that way. Uh -huh. That was just some flesh and blood like you and me that has somehow gone astray. Uh -huh. And, and that's, uh, that is a, that is a truism. It, it is truth that, uh -huh. uh, of course we have that. And of course it's going to be hard. And of course, by the way, I'm, I'm all about people being, uh, if not cynical, at least dubious. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty jaded to it myself. Um, that I'm okay if people come visit our church and go, yeah, I'll wait and see, you know, that's yeah. a, okay. Well, do that. I, you should be able to do that. I don't, I hope you don't have to do it, right. but you should be able to. Uh, I'm certainly a skeptic. So I, I do that myself quite a bit, mm -hmm. mostly about me, but, um, <laughs> about other, other things and people as well. Well, so everything from being, being able to recognize I mean, like, like John uh, Redfern a few weeks ago talking on stage about, you know, that he kind of yelled at his son uh -huh. on a Wednesday night. Um, and it's hard to get his son's attention. I, I get it. I, I've been there and I have a kid like that, too. It's yeah. very hard to get his attention. And so John kind of barked at him to get his attention and it startled some people. And so John on Sunday morning just stepped up and was like, hey, some of you heard that. And that was, you know, me being flesh and blood. That was me, yeah. you know, thinking, well, if I yell at a storm, it'll storm less, which of course right. is ridiculous that I can help end the chaos by yelling. Well, that's probably not going to work out very well. And he did a brilliant job, almost poetry, in my opinion, of, of sharing that. And we try to model that right. with the leaders in our church. Um, so that's why I, you know, reference, I have certain clothes that I can wear on Sunday morning that are my they're when I'm in a skinny place and there are others right. when I'm in a fatter place. And because <laughs> my other addiction is sugar. And so, um, and so like, so I, my, I'm, I describe myself once as the Oprah Winfrey of pastors that may not translate very well anymore, but I meant <laughs> back in the day when she was always losing and gaining, you know, 20 or 30 pounds between episodes, almost yeah. you'd be like, what? And, but then like four episodes later, she's right back to her heavier weight. Like, Oh yeah, that's, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of me. And so, <laughs> uh, right, right. anyway, it's, it's, I think part of it is the recognition that we're all frail mm -hmm. and we're all sexually frail yeah. and we're all needy and we all have hangups when it comes to sex. And if you don't draw healthy boundaries and if you don't have good accountability, and then here's the biggest one for me, Colson, I got to tell uh -huh. you, 
that has scared me over the years is I've had several lead pastors tell me, and, and I mean not in a confession way, but in a instructive way, hey, just know you can't be friends with your congregation. Yeah. You can't be friends with your staff and you can't be friends with your leadership. And I'm like, well, then I don't want to do this. Right. Like, hey, what's the point? And wh- like, and I don't, wh- I'm not interested. And why, why not my they, whole thing? What is the whole, what's the, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, it's, I think I, I, I can give you, they say, because it's then so much worse when things go badly. Oh, it's so okay. much worse when people stab you in the back. It's so much worse when you have to fire somebody. It's so much worse. And, and what struck me even as they were saying it at the time, and I had to listen to them because they had more experience than I did and really listen and have to dig in and think about what I believed and then talk to others as well. And what I realized they mean was it's so much harder on them. Uh-huh. Um, it's so much harder on, your, on you when you have to fire a staff member who is a friend. Uh-huh. It, it, the truth is, though, it may be easier on the staff member because you can love them through it as a friend, even though you're the one who has to make the call to fire them. Right. Um, it's that much harder when I leave. If, if God calls me to another church or calls me to another job or another career, it's that much more painful for me if I'm leaving a bunch of friends. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I just can't see another way to do it that can be even vaguely healthy. Yeah. And so I try to have close friendships with people on staff and with people in the church and with leadership and, and with others. And I mean, there may be certain things that getting together a group of pastors that we can talk about that would not be easy to talk about in other places. Uh-huh. That's true. Of, I think that's true of any career path, especially one that has responsibilities. But, mm-hmm. but man, I just, I think that's why they fall mm-hmm. is because they don't like have, they're I, not surrounded like by isol- friends. They isolation. don't have a Jonathan yeah. who can, you know, Jonathan, it's so sad. Jonathan was dead before David falls with Bathsheba and, and Uriah and that mm-hmm. whole nightmare where he breaks essentially all 10 commandments in a period of six months. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I've always said I, how sad that at that stage in his life, there was no one in David's life who could come to him and say, why are you still in the palace? Mm-hmm. And it says very clearly in that passage, it was, it was, you know, spring when Kings go to war and David was in his palace. It's a clear editorial on the mm-hmm. fact that David's not supposed to be in his palace. And his men are out fighting and he's not with them. And it's not mm-hmm. good. Yeah. But there's no one in David's life who could come and say, hey, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Your men are in war and you're here. Get up off your rear end. Get off that throne and go to war with your men. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not, you shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, and when I asked my wife one time, hey, um, so if I started really messing up, if I really started kind of going off the deep end in some way, are there people in my life who you could kind of call in to confront me that you could send into the throne room, so to speak, and say, mm-hmm. Hey, what are you doing? And she kind of chuckled. She was like, Oh, there's a huge line of people who would love nothing more than to get <laughs> to call you out in that moment. <laughs> call you out in that moment. You're like, okay, great. Um, great. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all I needed to know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and so kind of going going uh, back to what we had been talking about specifically with, you know, leaders that had been of standing uh, um, falling or even, you know, that it comes out after they've passed away. I think a lot of times, um, and I'm even, and I can get discouraged by this too, and I'm sure other people do, of like, oh, well, 
does this just discredit everything they were talking about? Yeah. You know, yeah. because I, I know that there, I mean, there, there's even another podcast that I was listening to recently of like talking about um, building up the, or, or talking about like restoring uh, the credibility of the church and how those, those things can kind of diminish the credibility in a way in a, in the public of eye. Course. And so what, I, I don't know if somebody, if somebody's that, if that's somebody's question, their deconstruction of like, look, I was, I really held this person in high regard. I mean, and I, I know you, you, we have said like, okay, you know, we, we need to deconstruct our faith in humanity. What do you say to people who are like, can I still believe this? Um, even though this person who I really thought was living the right way wasn't like, yeah. should I now stop listening to their old sermons and things that I really was comforted and encouraged by? Yeah. Um, that's a, so one, should you stop listening to their old sermons or should you, you know, throw away all your notebooks or, or that kind of stuff? Uh -huh. I don't, I don't think that's necessary though. It's certainly understandable. Right. Um, it's certainly understandable why you would go like, I just don't feel like I can trust them. Well, apparently you can't. Right. You can't trust them. Um, and it's a great, you know, it's one of those moments I think that most of us face at some point when we do have to decide is my faith in my parents mm -hmm. or is it in God? Is my faith in my youth minister or is it in God? Now, I'm not, I'm not minimizing those people. I mean, they need to answer for that. And, uh -huh. and when they bring things down, when they do that, when they cause one of these little ones to stumble, um, I mean, Jesus is pretty clear about that. That's, that's not okay. You need to be careful not to ever do that. And, and, uh, and yet people do. So the answer would be, the truth has to still be the truth, no matter who says it. Um, that that if someone who is absolutely, you know, a, an anti-religion, atheistic, you know, ungod, whatever, just pick pick uh -huh. the pick the furthest from the truth. But if they say something that's true, it's still true, right? Um, and a pastor who is, you know, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. If what they said is true, it's still true. Now, you certainly now have to go back and reevaluate, is what they said true at a new level? Was it true? Or were they using that to manipulate and lie like a cult leader or a con yeah, artist? Were yeah. they, um, and so you can evaluate it for its truth. Um, I've actually moved people who have, who have been, from a therapy perspective, needed to work through this. We'll go back and listen to old sermons from people like that, and and we'll evaluate them. Uh -huh. Is this true or is it not? Is this true or is it not? And it's weird for them because a lot of times they've never put themselves in the position to evaluate these people. Yeah, so it's just like well, um, like thinking critically, thinking on their own, kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What does this Bible actually say? So so to go back and and evaluate. Okay, is this right? Is what they said right? Is the example they used? Does it teach what it needs to teach? And and I'm amazed at how often um, people just very uncritically listen to a pastor or a teacher, and and then just swallow that. Uh -huh. And I hope for their sake it's true. Um, versus what happened in the Church of Berea in the Book of Acts, that when Paul came and taught to them. They then went back to the scriptures and tested what he said against the scriptures before they decided to believe what he said. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's appropriate. I think that's totally, that's a good thing to do is that you want a leader, a pastor, a teacher who is humble and who is learning and who doesn't think they have all the answers and who doesn't have it all together and is able to acknowledge that, who is able to have friends in the church, in his congregation and, mm-hmm. and among his leaders, um, who is willing to, to do those things. And, and I, I, I mean, I'm not saying those things because they're things about me. Mm-hmm. I try to make those things true about me because I think they are right. They're true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I totally understand it. And we would love to, I mean, gosh, we'd be happy for anybody who says, I don't know what to do. This person who I had placed my trust in has abandoned me, has been unfaithful to me. Um, there's a lot of ways that it feels like spiritual adultery when a pastor falls, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you've, you've been with that pastor sometimes five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And then they fall. Well, that feels a little bit like if your spouse cheated on you. Yeah. Like I've got to go back and reevaluate everything. Looking back is, well, that wasn't true. Then what, what about this? Was this true? Was this true? Was this true? And that can be so disconcerting and understandably so. Uh-huh. Um, and, and that's actually one of the things I, I enjoy doing as a counselor and as a pastor is talking through that with people is talking through, Hey, you've been let down and you're going to be let down again. And if you came to the church of South spring, you're going to be let down again. I yeah. promise we will let you down. All of us will. Um, and you'll let me down. So it's fair. I mean, you'll let me down. I'll let you down. That's how this works. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't love each other. And because foundationally I'm not dependent upon you and you aren't dependent upon me for our faith. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. It should cause us to go back and reevaluate them. Of course, it should cause us to go back and rethink what they taught us. And, and that can be a painful process for sure. And, and we're not obligated to continue to trust them, um, or listen to them. We do have to figure out a process for forgiving them. Um, which doesn't mean they become our pastor again. doesn't mean we let them babysit our children. It doesn't mean we loan them money. It doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. It just means that at some point we come to the place of realizing Christ has paid all our debts and we can afford to forgive other people their debts, no matter how awful they are. Um, yeah. And that's a hard process. And we don't have time on this podcast to talk about that, but it's, it can be a challenging, hard covenant to decide to forgive somebody. And there'll be days when you're good at it and days when you're bad at it. It's like with any other covenant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, that is something Christ calls us to. And Christ is the one we listen to, not, not people when there's disagreement. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's understandable why that would be so hard. And it's, it, I will tell you, it's infuriating uh-huh. as a pastor. It is infuriating when we see a pastor fall in pride or arrogance or lust, uh, whatever fleshly thing they fall into, especially yeah. when they've lied about it. They pretended like they had it all together. That stuff is just infuriating to me as a pastor because it does it does put a dark mark against the gospel. Yeah. Man. Experientially, well, not yeah, truthfully, but experientially. Right, but experientially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man. Anyway. Well, so this is something we're seeing, and we would love for anybody who needs to reach out and say, that's me. You're talking about me. My pastor, my the person I admired, my ministry leader, turned out to be a horrible person. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's just that you got crossways with them, well, you, you're both horrible people. And so you, <laughs> that's going to happen sometimes right. between humans, humans are going to get crossways with each other because we're horrible. But, um, but sometimes it truly is a one directional, someone just fell yeah. and failed. And, 
How do we restore them appropriately? How do we confront them appropriately? Those are all conversations I've had with many people yeah. over the years and know I'll have more. And it's, it's sad, but it's what we would predict, uh, predict as Christians that, yeah. yeah, any faith you put in humans is eventually going to get let down to one degree or another. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if you're listening right now, and this is something that you have walked through um, and the Lord has used to, you know, to grow something in you or you have a story to share, we'd love to, to hear that. Um, and so please feel free to reach out to me at clechner at southspring.org. Um, we can kind of continue that conversation. Any closing thoughts, Chris? Uh, thank you so much for taking a call and, and sharing. Um, even though you're out in the wilderness, there is a little bit of wind, but for the most part, uh, you were, you were, you're easy to hear. And I think we'll be able to okay, good. get some, some really good meat out of the conversation, uh, despite the elements. Good, good. Well, maybe my, uh, my lack of sleep may be less clear, but being out in the wilderness, maybe that makes my thoughts clear. So hopefully there'll be something valuable in that conversation. And I, I would tell somebody, um, it's exactly what we kind of end the podcast with. Don't give up. Um, keep struggling, keep trying, keep asking those hard questions and keep digging in. And uh, when humans let us down, we grieve, we mourn, we, we struggle. Um, we can be persecuted, but we're not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And that's hopefully the perspective we can take, even when those nearest to us fall. Mm. Um, and I hate to think about how that would have been affected. Like, what are these people's kids and yeah. spouses and what do they deal with? But but it's real for us as well. And so for us to allow ourselves to grieve and struggle, um, but remind ourselves where our help comes from. And it's not primarily, it's not fundamentally from other humans. Yeah. As important as we are. So there you go. Man, great word. Well, thanks, Chris. And uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.